Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a very, very classy version of Beyond the Bulletin. It's classy because I've lost a lot of weight lately, namely about 190 pounds, also known as Stephen Lenahan. He's not joining us today. Instead, it's just me, my Bible, my catechism, my tiny Mary statue, and my ginormous St. Anthony of Padua statue here to make sure that you understand one topic uh, that we're going to cover for the next, I don't know, maybe 16, 17 weeks. Who knows? Who knows? Jay's back there. He doesn't know. But we're going to cover one topic, and that's the communion of saints. That's right. We're going to introduce the communion of saints. We're going to talk about various saints, probably at random, probably with a plan. I don't know. Uh, but we're going to start off with this special edition of Beyond the Bulletin. Now, uh, I want to talk about this because many Catholics have a mistaken understanding, sometimes, nay, even a superstitious understanding about our relationship to the saints. Also, here in the Woodlands, uh, where Catholics are, we're not the minority, but we're pretty close. A lot of our Protestant brothers and sisters, even the folks that don't think we're doomed to an eternity separated from God in the fiery pits of hell, uh, think that our veneration of the saints uh, takes, uh, takes it a little too far. Takes it a little too far. So we're going to talk about the relationship with saints and uh, necromancy, communicating with the dead, all those stuff, coming up on today's episode of Beyond the Bulletin, Saint Edition. All right, today, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about the communion of saints. But before I do, I want to set it up with a nice little story. Now, many of you know I have a terrible Catholic podcast called Catching Foxes. Heard by dozens, revered by none. And in that podcast, my buddy Luke, that I've known since college, he's my co-host. Well, Luke is a fun guy. He is a bit of a music nerd. He loves all things like new metal. Uh, he's a real big Limp Biscuit fan. Corn, uh, just kidding. He hates those guys. But he was really big into the Christian music scene of the late 90s and early 2000s. And above all else, his favorite band of all time was Five Iron Frenzy. Now, they got super popular in the ska scene, not just among Christians, but in pop culture. To say something was super popular and ska in the same sentence is just a tragedy, a tragedy. But the idea of Five Iron Frenzies, Christian ska band, they would have these concerts and they would pray and do all this stuff. Well, people would do these bulletin boards, pre-Facebook stuff, right? And these long bulletin boards and they'd post questions and comments and all this stuff. And I'll never forget Luke coming in he had just gone to a Five Iron Frenzy concert at the end of a retreat weekend that he did on Mary. Now, Luke did not have any Marian devotion or anything like that coming into college. He was kind of lackluster in the Catholic department because his youth group was, was mostly like an evangelical youth group in a lot of ways. So he comes in, and uh, he's, he's like, Gormley, I, I, made a, I made a horrible mistake. I was like, what's that? And he goes, well, I, you know how I love the band Five Iron Frenzy? I said, yeah. And he goes, you know how I went on that Marian retreat and I fell in love with Mary as my mother? And I was like, yes. And he said, well, I kind of told all the Protestants that they need to stop bashing Mary and need to make her their mother too. And here's how you pray the rosary. And I go, oh, 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 how did those comments go over? And he said, not well, not well. So I went into his room and I opened up his ancient Toshiba laptop and I start scrolling through in dial-up, by the way, the comments. He had 129 comments in less than 30 minutes on a Christian ska music bulletin board online. That's pretty, that's, that's intense. And in it, it started, first it was the, the usual attacks. Hey, haven't you heard the phrase queen of heaven is a demonic term? You Catholics are worshiping a demon goddess. Um, you know, you shouldn't uh, worship Mary. You, you're an idolater, Maryolater. That's a fun one. 
Um, and then it just got off the hinges. God didn't need Mary in order for Jesus to come. And then it was so funny because the further you got away from tradition and scripture, the more people just made stuff up about God. So they would say things like, Jesus Christ, uh, the original sin comes from our genetic, uh, our, our DNA. And so God gave Jesus perfect DNA and created this baby and laid a nine-month-old baby in Mary's womb. And then like a couple days later, she gave birth. And I'm like, where are people getting this? And they would say all these things. They brought up necromancy. Don't you know you're not allowed to communicate with the dead? That's a sin. They're dead. Then they would say other things that I thought were so fascinating as a Catholic that I've never in my entire life heard, which is those who are in heaven don't know, nor do they care about what's happening to those of us on earth. They're enjoying God. Now, I get the enjoying God part. In the Catholic Church, we call that the beatific vision, but not caring about what happens on earth. You can understand, as a cradle Catholic who has a big devotion to the communion of saints, of course they care. We ask for their intercession all the time. So all these comments are flooding in, and Luke just goes, here's my laptop. Can you answer them all for me? So I start typing, I open up like a gentleman, I open up a Word document, and I start typing my reply. But I'm telling you, the questions and, and comments and answers and, and, and rage fest that was going on in these comments, I had no clue where to start. It was already 1.30 in the morning. I was in college, probably eating pizza at the time. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do this now. I'm going to think about it, go to bed. And in the morning, I'll go to the chapel. We had an adoration chapel. Um, it's called the Portiuncula, Our Lady, the Queen of Angels. Eh. It's a relevant title. Anywho, and I was there, and I was in adoration, and I was praying. And I was praying for about half an hour, and I'm like, Lord, I have no idea where to start. I have no idea what to say to these people. Like, they're going off the rails. Mary only had Jesus for a few days in her womb, and that it, it was bizarre. So then I hear the bells ringing, okay? At Franciscan, we have three daily masses to accommodate all the college students. So it was noon mass. I go in there. Yes, Jay, that's me subtly telling everyone how holy we are. So I go in there, and I'm at Mass. I don't even know what day it is, what, what feast, the liturgical calendar, anything. I just go, and I sit down, and I'm wearing painter's jeans. Jay, did you ever wear painter's jeans? No, do you know what painter's jeans are? They're, they're not just a lot of pockets, bro. You're thinking cargo jeans, right? Painter's jeans had these little pockets on the side where you could fit brushes. Okay, and I, because I'm a nerd, put pens. I put pens in there, right? My favorite ones, those gel pens. So I'm sitting there, and it's the middle of Mass, and wouldn't you know it, it's the feast day of the Transfiguration. Now, I'm going to read you just a little bit out of the Transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain apart. He was transfigured before them. That's where they get the title for this trek. Uh, he was transfigured before him, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking to him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is well that we are here. If you wish, I will make three booths here for you. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were filled with awe. But Jesus came, touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And then, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Okay, now I just want to set that up. That's Matthew 17, by the way. I want to set this up because I think it's very important. When I heard the gospel proclaimed in the church that day, I did not hear anything else. 
the homily went away. Every the murmurings of all the high, uh, college students around me that just disappeared. I was in a world all my own, and God. And this is the only time this has ever happened to me. God flooded my mind with scripture verses, and I pulled out the pen from my trusty painter's jean paintbrush side pocket. I popped the cap off, and I began writing chapter and verse of over a dozen books or quotes in the New Testament. And I'm writing them down, writing them down, writing them down. I was writing them on my arm. I was writing a couple, you know, uh, you know, phrases or, or words or a sentence from the verse. And I had them up and down both arms. The person sitting next to me literally slid further away from me in the pew because I looked like a crazy person. Now, I did have this beard, but I had a really long chin hair. So uh, I definitely was a crazy person. But I went back to that dorm and I fashioned the world's greatest apologetic on the communion of saints. Because what I did was I said to these people, let me tell you the story of the transfiguration and why this matters in the Catholic understanding of the communion of saints. Number one, here's Jesus. Number two, here's the disciples of Jesus. And number three, here are these characters, Moses and Elijah, on either side of a glorified, risen up, transfigured Jesus. He's revealing his glory. This is important. And he tells them at the very end, don't tell anyone this story. They ain't going to believe you until after the Son of Man rises. Now, why are all these components important for talking about the communion of saints? Well, here are two dead guys who are very much not dead, and they're communicating with Jesus Christ about his, as another passage would put, another uh, version of the story, about his departure or exodus, which is kind of an important term for Moses to say. So they're talking to Jesus, these two dead guys talking to Jesus, and these three living disciples can see the two dead guys and can hear their conversation. And what is the first impulse that they do? They want to erect three tents. They want to honor the three. That is the correct impulse to have. Now, why was that ridiculous in that moment? Because it's not like they were setting up camp. It's not like Moses and Elijah are reincarnating or coming back down to earth or whatever. No, they are here for this one moment. The law and the prophets are fulfilled in Jesus. That's why that scene was so important. But to someone trying to talk about the communion of saints, why do we view the church as bigger than just those who happen to be alive? And do those who happen to be alive and those who are dead actually care about one another? Should we care or be in relationship with one another? The answer is absolutely yes, if Jesus is the center of it all, right? It's not necromancy trying to summon or communicate with the dead. If Jesus is the center of it all, because all of our prayers to the saints, really we're asking the saints to pray for us. If you've ever been to a mass where you hear the great litany of saints, what do we say? Christ hear us, Christ graciously hear us. Jesus Christ, most sacred heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. Eternal son of God, have mercy on us. Most holy spirit of God, have mercy on us. But once we shift to the saints in the litany of saints, we don't say have mercy on us. St. Peter, have mercy on us. St. Anthony, have mercy on us. We don't say that. What do we say? We say ora pro nobis, pray for us, right? Because the end game of the saints is not the saints in and of themselves, but because the saints glorify Christ, we can honor them. And that got me thinking. So I started clickety-clacking on the keyboard. I was like, here we have this scene of the transfiguration that doesn't just reveal to us this moment in biblical history. Hey, look at Jesus and all the cool stuff he can do. It reveals to us the precise nature of, get ready for it, Jay, the precise nature of the body of Christ. In Romans chapter 8, St. Paul says, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Neither death 
nor life. And he says a whole bunch of other stuff, tribulations and sufferings and trials. Nothing can separate us from the love that we have in Jesus Christ. That means that those of us who are in the body of Christ, incorporated through the sacraments and through faith, if we are in Christ, we belong to one another. St. Paul talking about the beautiful mystery of, uh, of the body of Christ says that we are individual members of the body of Christ and individually members of one another. We belong to each other because of Jesus Christ. So if Christ is the center and we are all the hands and the feet and the eyes and the ears and all that stuff, St. Therese of Lisieux said, I know my vocation. My vocation is to be the heart in the body of Christ, right? To love people, spend my whole days loving people. When we take a step back and we look at the body of Christ, is Christ divided, St. Paul asked? The answer is no. Christ is not divided, not even by that veil of tears that we call death, which means for us that those who have died marked by the sign of faith, that they have not truly died. In fact, St. Paul says they've fallen asleep. We don't even use the terminology often of, uh, of death, right? Our cemeteries are, are not abodes of the dead. That's what they were in the Roman Empire. But for us, the catacombs were the place where we celebrated liturgy. It was a place where heaven and earth met and the saints that physically surrounded them in their corpses and spiritually surrounded them, uh, surrounds us all, right? This was this whole union in Christ, in Christ, my faithful dead, the faithful dead of my church, of my parish, of my life, of, of, of the saints that I venerated from 800 years ago, 1,000 years ago, whatever, St. Peter, 2,000 years ago, the faithful in Christ are still united to me. We are both individually members of one another and of Christ, and we ought to care about one another. In fact, when the veil is removed between heaven and earth, what do we find? Do we find God alone and that's it? No, we find God and his throne surrounded by those who worship and honor God, but we also find God, and this is, you gotta catch this, God honoring the faithful among him. So they are worshiping him. God's not worshiping them. What is he doing though? He's giving them robes of white, right? He's crowning them. He's putting jewels in the crowns, right? He is surrounding them or he's seating them in places of honor. In fact, in the book of Revelation chapter four and five, we're introduced to these characters called the 24 elders. This is the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, right? And these 24 elders have white robes. They're seated in thrones and they have crowns. What are they doing? Well, the band took the name of what they're doing. They are casting their crowns before God. Now, that means that God gave them crowns. God honored them. And I started thinking about this. You know, one of the problems of the Catholic-Protestant divide on the communion of saints is we think it's a competition with God over how much honor, praise, and glory he gets. Obviously, God alone deserves all the glory. But think about this in terms of artwork. Imagine there is an art gallery and your best friend is the artist. And for the first time, she is showcasing all of her artwork. So you go and make a visit, right? You're going to go opening night of this gallery show or whatever you call it. I don't have any friends who are artists. So you go in there and you see this gallery. Imagine if your friend's like, so what do you think? What do you think? You're like, why do I care about your paintings? I only care about you. Well, what, do, do, do they look good? Uh, do, do you think they look beautiful? Do you think they're, they're well done? I, I can't take my eyes off of you. Why would I look at these little things, these little creations you've made? I want to look at you. No, we know, that's a silly kind of analogy, but we know that the artist is honored 
when you praise the artwork. God never has his glory stolen from him when you praise him by praising and honoring his saints. We are not devaluing God. In fact, we are revaluing God because of all the greatness that has been manifested in the lives of the humble Christ-like followers, people like St. Anthony, people like the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so I started thinking about this from that perspective. If we all belong to the body of Christ and not even death severs me from Christ, then that means not even death severs us from one another. And if it doesn't sever us from one another and now you are glorified, united with God in heaven and God himself is honoring you, then that means you and I are still connected to one another. That means that you and I, as Hebrews chapter 12, verse one says, we are indeed surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. But what does that cloud of witnesses enable us to do? You you think of an arena, right, at the Olympics. What are they doing? They are there to cheer you on, to spur you on, so that you can follow Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, right? The whole point of the saints is to give glory to God and to aid you in giving glory to God. Now, I had one person say to me, you imitate the saints, don't do that. The Bible says you should only imitate Jesus, be conformed to him. And I said, wow, that's kind of weird because St. Paul in multiple places says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. The reason why we have saints is to see how the gospel is not just incarnate in the life of Christ, because you and I both know, sometimes when we read scripture, Jesus is so holy other that it's hard for us to grasp. It's hard for us to follow in the foot. It's hard to, like, is this the time where I beat everyone up and chase them out with a whip? Or is this the time where I, I'm going to flip these tables, right? Jay flips tables at least twice a week. And I'm like, Jay, now you're not cleansing the temple. Settle down. You're just at church's chicken. That's not appropriate here. But the whole idea is sometimes it can be difficult to follow him in our own day and age. So what the church does is it elevates people after investigating their lives and asks one question, does this person, an object of veneration, have the street cred, and the Vatican uses that phrase, have the street cred. Do they have heroic virtue in following Jesus? If they don't, then don't follow them. Then they can't say, as St. Paul said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Every saint, that is what they say. That is the message of the saints. Not pay attention to me and me alone, but if you're gonna imitate me, imitate me as I imitate Jesus Christ. That is powerful in our daily walk. And I also wanna point out in the book of Revelation, those 24 elders are described as having these huge incense bowls. And inside the incense bowls, sacred scripture says, are the prayers of the faithful. They are our prayers that the saints in heaven are holding up in giant incensors, right, before the throne of God and his altar, which makes me think, right? In the Catholic Church, we have incense, right? We have robes, right? We have an altar, we, we even have a throne, right? Especially if you're hanging out at the cathedrals, right? We have the stuff of the book of Revelation. In fact, the mass is truly the center place where Revelation unfolds. And that is why the communion of saints matters so much. Because it's not that they are dead and they ignore us. They've gotten their reward. Why do, why, how could they even care about us? But the idea is, when you start to look at it from the perspective of the body of Christ, St. Paul says, when one is elevated, all are lifted up. When one is cast down, all are brought low. Think of the saints as those who bring up the whole body of Christ. Don't you think that they will spend their heaven doing good on earth, as St. Therese of Lisieux says? The answer is absolutely yes. That's why we have a communion of saints. 
begun here on earth. So just as I would ask you to pray for me when I'm going through a struggle, I can ask the Blessed Virgin Mary or St. Anthony of Padua or some other patron of some other problem that I might have. I can ask them to pray for me. Not because I'm trying to do an end run around Jesus or I'm like, well, I'm scared of Jesus. I need a go-between, right, Jay? Jay, you do that. You got to stop doing that, Jay. (laughs) The idea at its core is that we are asking the family members to pray for us, right? And didn't Jesus say when speaking to the Sadducees who did not believe in an afterlife, right? Sadducees were the Jewish group, hung out in Jerusalem, party of the priests. He said, uh, have you not heard that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, therefore, he is the God of the living and not of the dead. Now he's speaking, of course, of those faithful dead who died in relationship with God. How much more those who die in the grace of the sacraments united to us forever. This is powerful, brothers and sisters. So I want to close on this note. St. Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is beautiful, whatever is honorable, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about the life of St. Anthony as voluntary poverty. Think about the humility of the Virgin Mary as she stood there in Nazareth hearing the request of the archangel Gabriel. Think about St. Francis of Assisi, wild child turned just on fire convert. Think about St. Thomas Aquinas and how chubby he was. Lord knows I do. There are many ways to imitate the saints. Some are better than others. But the idea is there is so much within the communion of saints, that you and I can be uniquely blessed with, that we can follow their example and we can honor them. After World War II ended and our boys came home from battle, ticker tape parades were thrown all over the country. Monuments were immediately erected. Why do cultures do that? Why did we build that famous statue that sits in the Marine, um, I believe it's the Marine burial grounds in Washington, D.C.? You know, the famous statue where they're raising the flag on Iwo Jima and there's all these Marines lifting it up. And there's one guy who's jumping up to push it up to the top, but his fingers are not yet touching the pole. That guy was a Navajo who became a U.S. Marine. It's a fascinating story. No one worships that statue. No one worships that statue, but why do we build statues? Why do we build statues in the Catholic Church? It's the same reason why we build statues in the United States of America and in England and all over the place. We build statues because as a culture, as a people, the things they did, we want repeated. We want remembered and we want repeated. That is to say, we honor those honorable deeds. Whatever is pure, whatever is true, whatever is beautiful, whatever is good, whatever is praiseworthy, right? Honor these things. Think about these things. And the idea of St. Paul saying, be imitators of me, It's just like those Marines saying, imitate what I am doing, those who come after me, right? Do this thing, right? So they want us to look at the courage. They want us to look at the patriotism. In the Catholic Church, we want you to look at the particular lives of the saints and how it calls us home to Christ. So that's what we're going to do. In the next, oh, let's just come up with a number off the top of our heads. Let's say 16 weeks, maybe more, maybe less, but probably exactly 16 We are going to explore how the lives of particular saints are particularly important and relevant for us here at St. Anthony of Padua. All righty, so for the next 16 or so weeks, we want you to stay tuned to our Facebook, to our flock notes, to our parish website. Stay tuned, check it out, because we got a lot of exciting and amazing content coming out 
along with some pretty epic announcements. So stay tuned, tune in to this face. I promise it'll be rewarding. We'll see you next week.